What is it you'd like to talk about? My patient. Hi. I know you're nervous. I just want to have a chat. I'm seeing something no one else can see except for me. It's smiling at me. Yesterday, a patient in your care died brutally in front of you. I need to find an explanation for what happened. It's smiling at me. It's smiling at me. Cases involving 19 victims with a direct line linking them all together. You said only 19. Why is it that everybody else who's seen it is dead in your life? I've seen it too. You? Get her away from me! How long between each victim's death? None of them survived longer than a week. No! Today's my fourth day. I am not gonna keep running. I have to face it. How does it make you feel? I'm just really scared that something bad is going to happen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations. Happy puppets. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Mike, how the hell are you doing? I'm doing well. We are officially in October now, so whoever's doing like some type of challenge or whatnot, it's probably kicked off. So uh, maybe at the end of the show, we can all mention if we're doing anything and what it is. Um, but uh, that's about it for me. Uh, joining us as well as always, it's Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, what's going on? Always great to be here. All right. Well, since it's great to be here, let's see if it's uh, even greater to talk about this movie or not. So uh, we are covering the, the theatrical release that came out this past Friday. It is called Smile. And it goes as follows, as far as the synopsis. After witnessing a bizarre, traumatic incident involving a patient, Dr. Rose Cotter starts experiencing frightening occurrences that she can't explain. Rose must confront her troubling past in order to survive and escape her horrifying new reality. So, do we start with general thoughts? We will do that now, and I'll kick it to Venom to start us off. What did you think of Smile? I don't know. <laughs> no, uh, let me explain that. Th this movie is an absolute enigma to me because I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it. This movie is literally one of the most middle of the ground type horror films. 
it's so excuse me it's so middle of the road that i literally forgot half the movie as i'm walking out of the theater like there there is nothing um exceptional about this film i didn't think the editing was all that great i i, I know that the cinematography they started that they were trying to do some artistic stuff with the camera but by the third act it was just getting annoying you know uh let's see uh, the performances were fine. I didn't have any problems with any of the performances. The story had the potential to be a really cool story, but just completely fizzles out. Like, like I don't even think we need to have a quote-unquote spoiler section for this movie because there's nothing to spoil. Like, we, we get very little explanation of what's happening in this world, very little world-building in general, um, a little bit of an explanation of what's actually going on, at least what's going on in modern times. And then a little tiny bit of history going back, but never ever in any way, do we get any kind of explanation of what's going on? We just have to accept that this is just some kind of dark entity that just is deciding to do this for whatever reason. Okay, fine. Um, the kills are okay. I think the, the best kills in the movie are the first and the last. Everything in between is just okay. This movie is very filled with jump scares. And folks, you know how I feel about jump scares. I will say there is one jump scare in this movie that was very effective. And it wasn't necessarily even supposed to be a scary scene. It was just more a reveal of the aftermath of one of the suicides in this movie. Just a quick shot. And everyone in my theater like screamed out loud when that one shot appeared. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. But yeah. Other than that, I mean, there was a lot of jump scares, very um, telegraphed. You could tell they were coming, as with 99% of jump scares in this world. I'm just going to say that there was nothing exceptional about this film. I mean, I can't think of anything that I would praise about it. Sozie Bacon was okay. Um, the score was okay. There's, like, one licensed music in here. In fact, the score actually gets a little, like, how could I put it? almost annoying after a while. Some of the transitional um, pieces of music, like when scenes are transitioning to another scene, some of those pieces of music were just like loud, percussive noises. They, they were barely music. And I don't know if they were, if the filmmakers chose to do that to kind of set a tone of like disorientation, you know, but it didn't work for me. It just annoyed the shit out of me. And as I said, there's just nothing really that I can praise about this film. It's an okay story that had a lot of potential, but fizzled out completely. Um, this movie is two fucking hours. There is no reason on this planet for this movie to be two hours. It's barely a one hour movie, in my opinion. They could have told this story. This story is like a glorified Tales from the Crypt. They could have covered this in 45 minutes on television and done just as good a job as this movie did. So, yeah, I, I just I'm not going to say I hate the movie. It, it may sound like I had a lot of disdain for the movie, but I'm I'm serious when I say I, I'm just it's so middle of the road that I don't care. Like, I'd rather at least hate a movie because it gives me something to talk about. You know, it gives me something to rant about, whatever. This movie doesn't even give me that. This is like a uh, there's the analogy in professional wrestling of any pop is a good pop. And what that means is whether you're a, a good guy and you get the crowd cheering for you or you're a bad guy and you get the crowd booing for you. Either way, that's a pop. The worst thing you can, that can happen as a professional wrestler is you come out and no one even reacts like no one's cheering. No one's booing. Literally, no one gives a shit that you're even standing there. That's what this movie is. This movie literally could have not been made and my life would literally be the exact same right now, other than I would have two hours of my life back. So, yeah, 
I I don't have a whole lot positive to say about the movie, but I also don't really have a whole lot of negative stuff. It's just middle of the road, dull. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone unless you literally were bored and had two fucking hours to kill. Otherwise, I, I think we can skip Smile. <laughs> okay. So maybe like you would rate it a mild grin? <laughs> no, no. Deadpan. Deadpan, my a friend. New, neutral? <laughs> neutral jawline. Neutral. All right. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, Don, what do you think of Smile? Uh, I'm kind of right there with Venom. Uh, I, I mean, first of all, let's just get the, you know, the rabbit out of the room here. Two hours or like 150 something like. No, God. Ugh. It, you know, to not have any kind of, you know, like he said, there's no story build up. There's no explanation of what this thing is. It, to me, the, the best thing is, is that I would I can probably say this feels way too late for this kind of a film. This feels very much like the late 2000s Bloomhouse type of film, like, um, you know, Bye Bye Man or Truth or Dare or um, uh, what's that other shit thing that they did? Um, <laughs> Which one? <laughs> I know. Um, so it's like, I know it's like that PG 13, like light R jump scare factory thing that they did in like the late two thousands. Like this thing feels so very much like that, that it's like almost hard to believe that this thing hasn't been shelved and just like redistributed to the masses nowadays. Like it it feels so much of that time that it's really hard to like let that go. That would probably be like the best thing I can say about it is that, you know, you're a fan of like those lighter toned kind of a films where you're not really getting anything like really overtly explicit in it, but you're not getting anything that's really kind of. I mean, I mean it is kind of offensive. I mean, the, the amount of jump scares in this thing is probably bordering on ludicrous, but <laughs> like, like if you're a fan of like the light mainstream kind of affair and, you know, you're pushing like the PG 13 kind of boundary to go into R, uh, the two hour thing kind of makes it hard to say, recommend whether or not, but I, I mean, I don't really hate it either. So that's kind of the thing. It's like, you know, I, I kind of was starting to get into it by like the second act where everything starts happening and like all of these mysterious incidents start reaching their peak. So, I mean, I guess like that part of the film was good and it kind of like distracted me a little to, you know, not notice with the running time, but yeah, I still left this and I, I, I still noticed I was like, wow, this thing was a lot longer than I thought. Cause I ended up putting a bigger dent in my concessions than I expected. But I mean, yeah, this thing is just like so bland and like so PG thirteen ish that it's kind of really hard to say whether or not it's good. I I mean there's like nothing technical wise about it that I noticed that it really made me think like like wow, that thing was lackluster or you know, wow, they really should have, you know, left that shot out of it. But then there's also nothing that's kind of made me say, you know, wow, that was pretty cool or hey, I kinda like that. It's okay for what it is, but I mean, this thing went to the theaters. Like that's like the big thing for me is that out of all the films that we've seen this year that you know we we've seen on you know VOD or Shutter or you know I don't know how deeply you guys have in on like the VOD thing, but this thing went to theaters. I I I don't get it, but. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, overall, I can't say I hated it. I can't say I liked it. I can't say I feel good for including this in my Halloween marathon, but it's a film. Okay. <laughs> yes, it is a film. <laughs> um, so I actually I agree with like most of what both of you guys have said. Um, I'll say personally, I probably enjoyed it a little more than you guys, but I still find it like a middle of the road movie. Now, John, it's interesting because your question, like why this would even go to the theater. I, I get what you're saying, but I'm almost the opposite where like, to me, this is a type of movie where everything, like anything that you could describe as fun about it to me would almost lose all effect seen at home to me because it's just a jump scare in your face, loud noises type movie that has no legs to it. So I almost would say like, if I'm going to recommend it, you kind of have to see it in the theater because I, I would imagine if I watched the same movie at home without like, you know, the volume cranked to 11 and a huge screen where it kind of enhances the jump scares, it, uh, it would probably, I'd probably think a lot less of it. So I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, fun movie, but zero legs to it. Like, I don't think I would get much, if anything, out of, like, second and third watches. I don't see it, like, improving. Uh, they, The story, it's like, I, I thought the setup was fine, but I feel like they, they almost try to, like, go deep with it. And it's just like, no, don't, don't do it. Like, there's no reason for this type of movie that you need to do that there's all you know without spoiling obviously there's allegories that they are half attempting to go with um i i would say like one thing is they they definitely uh go to the well too much with certain certain things like i i am i'm the last person to complain about jump scares i'm fine with them but when it, when the type of jump scare you're doing is like almost the same thing over and over and over at some point you just start tuning out because you you're like expecting it every like every scene you're like well as soon as something scary happens to her it, it's 75 percent chance it's this and most of the time you'd be correct with this movie um so yeah i'm not against jump scares it's just like come on shake it up a little with how you're doing it um i thought this it felt like it took a lot of elements from like recent horror when i say recent probably like in the last decade or so like a, a lot of elements that they kind of threw in there as far as how the story unfolded and what our main character is trying to do to figure things out to do in investigating um i i actually did kind of like the score i mean i i can understand where it became annoying because it, it was repeating a lot of it um but i you know i i still kind of like the place the placement of it it's another one of those movies where like the finale or the kind of like the end is just to me that takes that took away a little bit from it because yeah it's predictable i i mean i thought the design was just a little uninspired once once what's going once something actually reveals itself it's just like that's the thing like come on although it did do something cool in the process of what it was doing but the initial like design of it, I was just like, what? Like that's, uh, it feels like the same thing I've seen before. And like so many recent movies, like Don said, uh, like the bloom house. And it, this, like I, uh, I, when I think when I was walking out of theater, 
I actually thought to myself, like, did I just totally not see like the Bloomhouse Studio intro? Because this, I thought like, that too. I thought I missed movie. it because I mean, like I said, I I had so many rampant thoughts of like, this is like you know. 2017, 2018, like Bloomhouse kind of material, like yeah, was like that like, three to five million budget. Where right, like, like you know, was I just like reaching into my popcorn, or was I like taking a sip of soda and missed it? Like, I, I mean, I was almost sat in there like waiting to see like his name pop up in the credits. Like, I thought that's what. Her, mm-hmm. uh, is this? I don't think this is. A, is this a Blumhouse movie? I, I don't think it's, it's a Blumhouse. It, no, it's not. It's not. Oh, okay, but I, okay. I, but I was just saying. I was just saying, like, I kind of thought to myself, did I miss a Bloomhouse gotcha. intro? Because it just had that the feel of that that era. Like, Don, it what was it like the early 2000s where it's like they were coming out with three, four of those every year where it's like, it looks like it has about a three to five million dollar budget. Nothing. And the movies are just very, like, simplistic, like, paint by numbers, jump scare movies. Yeah, um, like the Annabelle or Oculus or Lights Out or. <laughs> All yeah, better movies. Exactly. Yeah. Um. What else? I'm trying to think. Um. You know, I thought the the characters were fine. You know, the story was okay. But I, you know, obviously there was no reason for this to be two hours. And I think that's where they were trying to get a little too involved with the story. Like you, you just don't need to do that for this kind of movie. Like I, I don't think anyone's like getting deep, deeply entrenched in like the emotional history or all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I feel like we got enough at the beginning to kind of already set up what her, what the main character's kind of history was and why, um, you know, why she kind of was the way she was. I thought we got enough of that at the beginning. And it almost felt like later on in the movie, we just got this extra exposition and flashbacks that we just didn't need because it didn't really tell me anything more. I mean, sure. It showed you a little more, but it's like, yeah, I, kind of assume this already just by what you already kind of told us earlier in the movie. Um, but like I said, I, I probably liked it a little more than you guys, but I just don't think this has much legs to it. If it for me, it's like a one time watch, take a date to the theater to get some jump scares, but you're probably never going to seek it out again. Mm-hmm. So I guess that'll wrap I mean, up my general thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I remember, <laughs> I remember more about truth or dare than I remember about this movie. And that, that was what, like two, three years ago. And I didn't like that uh, movie very ouch. much either, <laughs> but it was at least a little bit more memorable. Like I said, at least when a movie is bad, I remember it more. I'm telling you in, in a year, I'm going to forget this movie even exists. It, literally it, it left such a non dent in my world of horror that it's like I said, I, I I'm, I'm not kidding when I said I forgot like half of it as I'm walking out, it's two goddamn hours long. They love hanging on their long shots in this movie. Um, I don't have any problem with Sozie Bacon. I, I thought she did a fine job, I guess. I mean, it wasn't exceptional necessarily, but she, you know, she did fine. Um, crazy how much she looks like her mom. <laughs> when I saw the mm. name, I'm like, Oh, I'm, who's Kevin Bacon's daughter in here? And it's like, there's nobody in this movie that looks like Kevin Bacon. What the fuck? That's Kevin Kevin Bacon's daughter? Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. Yep, that's their daughter. But she looks just like Kira. Like, if you put them side by side, she looks like... Oh, yeah, it's been been years since I've seen what what she looks like, because I... Yeah. I, I don't really remember her that much. Yeah, I think... I don't I don't even... Couldn't name a movie that she's in. I think she's in that, um... 
that John Travolta Angel movie where he's an angel. I fucking forgot the name of that movie. The uh, movie Phenomenon, yeah. maybe? Think so. Sounds I right. I, 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 it sounds right. Yeah, Kira Sedgwick isn't exactly an actress that's, you know, been on my radar for decades by any stretch. But, yeah, I, I, the point is, you know, I thought Sozie did a fine job. I, I I didn't dislike her. I actually like Caitlin Stacy as Laura Weaver a little bit better. And that's our first girl, but, you know, our very first victim in the film. I thought I thought that whole scene was probably one of the high points of the film, actually. I thought the tension was really good. Um, and honestly, the smiles in here being creepy, eh, I don't know, I guess. I mean, anytime a random person just stares at you and smiles, it's creepy. It may not necessarily be a product of the smile itself. I mean, they didn't do the Bloomberg thing where they kind of CG enhance the smiles for, like, truth or dare. You know, making them elongated and you know almost look like the Grinch or something. But, yeah, the, the, um, I actually, I, I actually will pr- praise that. I actually did like the way that they did it in Truth or Dare. That actually added a lot more to the scenes with the uh, enhanced yes. distortion. Exactly. Yeah. And honestly, if you want to watch a 2022 movie with some fucked up smiles, I'd recommend The Sadness. Way more fucked up smiles in that movie, especially considering the shit they're doing while they're smiling. That, yeah, that's way more disturbing. I mean, again, I'm going back to my favorite movie of the year, and I shouldn't do that so often. But, yeah, I mean, if you're going to make a movie called Smile and people smiling is going to be the major catalyst of the film, you got to do it better than this. And, you know, like I said, for the first almost half of the film, I was on board. I did like the story. I thought the opening scene was cool. Once they start unraveling the connections between, you know, suicide after suicide after suicide, I was digging that. Even when they start talking about, you know, that there was instances of this happening, uh, one of the characters mentions that there's instances of this going back decades back in Brazil. So it's like this, this whole curse, if you will, has a history. It has a lineage, but we learned mm-hmm. none of that in the film, and that's upsetting. Yeah. I mean, when I said earlier that we don't even really need to have a spoiler section today, I'm dead fucking serious about the only spoilers in this film are who survives and who dies. That's it. Because we, like I said, if you you see it, if you saw the trailer, you know the story. (laughs) I mean, you know, there's not really much more you can say about that. Yeah. It's funny, too, because I actually saw this trailer by accident. You guys know I don't watch trailers. I saw this trailer by accident last week when I went to see the, the Ronnie James Dio documentary. And I saw the trailer by accident. I didn't expect there. I usually bring earbuds with me when I go to the theater, but I didn't think there'd be horror movie trailers before a one night only heavy metal you know, documentary. But they did play the smile trailer. And after the trailer played, I remember thinking, oh, wow, that was a cool trailer in the sense that they didn't really tell us anything. Like, like the whole story is still really ambiguous. And I have, you know, I, I couldn't really make a guess as to where it's going. But then once I watched the movie, I realized that it wasn't that it was a good trailer. It's that it wasn't a very good story. They just don't give us much in this movie. So, yeah, like I said, I, another thing about this film, maybe not the film specifically as the audience. Um, Mike knows this, but listeners, Mike, I, I tend to prefer to watch my movies at theatrical releases. I mean, on Saturday or Sunday morning, I like the lack of crowds. You know, usually it's a little bit cheaper, too, if I can't go to an AMC, if I have to go to another theater, at least I can get a matinee price. But this past weekend, because of my poker schedule and some other stuff that I had lined up, I had to go see this movie on a Friday night. Uh, So, of course, Friday night, opening night, Burbank, you know, it's just all teenagers. Well, you know, I say teenagers, but, you know, it's all people like in their late teens, early 20s. 
And goddamn, if walking out of the theater, every fucking kid was praising this movie. They were every single there were two girls behind me saying this is the scariest thing I've seen in years. And and two guys as I'm walking out of the theater going, yeah, yeah, that was a lot better than I expected it to be. Blah, 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 blah. And again, if you like the movie, no problem. I have no issues with you whatsoever. But this is why I don't go to movies on Friday nights, because it's all the younger the, the younger folks and even. Either A, they fuck up your experience by either not shutting up, not being respectful. That didn't happen this week. Everybody was respectful. Nobody had their cell phones on. It was actually a really nice Friday night experience. But then just, you know, the, the, the fact that almost everyone under the age of 30 in that theater was just praising the shit out of it. And then finally, I saw a guy kind of my age walk out of the theater and walk into the bathroom at the same time I did. And I just kind of asked him, what'd you think? And he just went... <laughs> so yeah uh, he's a uh, i think if you've been watching horror as long as we have a movie like this really doesn't come off as original or scary or whatever the case may be it might have if this would have came out in the 80s when we were all teenagers then yeah but man i, I really wish i could have like put all of my horror knowledge all my 40 plus years of horror knowledge on like a flash drive and then plug it into their head so that then they can realize oh shit smile's not that good I don't know. Oh, God. Yeah, I hate Friday nights at the theater. (laughs) Uh, I I did feel like the first two acts set up like an interesting premise in the story. Like you said, I I like the fact that when there was the research, they figured out like, oh, there's other chains of this going on and documented. But then they never really did anything with that. And they just kind of wound it back to like somewhat of an unoriginal conclusion once it's revealed like what well, I was just like oh man well my guess would be and I think this would I would actually be in, in favor of this if they actually do with a prequel route I'd actually like to see the Brazil stories yeah exactly I, I would it's a prequel actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm saying I, I'd love to see the, the Brazilian stuff because I think that's actually like you said that's pretty intriguing and that it goes on a pretty interesting road to see where this has gone in the past and I, I mean you know, can it get any worse than this? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah. The upside down shots were annoying the shit out of me. Um, I like artistic That's... cinematography, and we've seen it before in stuff like Midsommar and the Benson and Moorhead movies, which I'm not always a fan of, but they do have amazing cinematography. Well, um, and we just but, saw it with the new Candyman. Like, we don't need exactly. that in every other movie that comes out. That's the problem. Well, we just don't need it five too. times. We get it five fucking times in this movie where there's a scene transition and it transitions to an upside down shot. And it's like, what the fuck, guys? Okay, you're artistic. Stop jamming it down my throat. It just, yeah, the cinematography was just bugging the shit out of me by the second, by the third act, excuse me. By the time, like the third time we get an upside down shot, I'm like, okay, that's that's enough. By the time we get the fourth and fifth, it's like uh, this is just getting stupid now. It's like they figured out a camera trick and they just abuse the shit out of it, and that's really too bad. I mean, I don't know. Is this a first time writer director, Parker Finn? I didn't actually look, but it sounds that I I don't recognize him. Yeah, um, yeah, just a couple of oh, literally two shorts. And then this is their third project, their first uh, uh, full-length feature. But, damn, it's just so upsetting when you see a story like this that legitimately has potential. Like, this could have gone down a really dark, demonic route. And instead, we just get 
like we don't really get a culmination of the entire story. We get a culmination of this chapter. Like this, this movie smile feels like a smaller chapter in a much larger story. But because this is the first in said, uh, well, God, I don't even want to use the word franchise because I don't want to, I don't want to will it to happen. I, I don't want to see another one of these movies if I can avoid it. But I don't know. It just, it, it felt like it was just like a middle, it felt like a middle chapter. Let's go with that. It felt like a middle chapter of a trilogy and not a very good one either. Like it, it felt like a middle chapter in the sense that you should already know the lore and the mythology around this curse. You just don't know where it's going and how it's going to end. But this, this was the first movie. So it's like, it, it just left me wanting so much. Like it's one thing to want kills. And yeah, this movie is very lacking in kill. This movie has a very low body count. So if you're looking for your blood and gore, this ain't the movie for you. Uh, but you know, I can see how a lot of people might have fun with it. I mean, I've already seen a couple of podcasters, people I consider my contemporaries, my age, who love this movie. So there is a market for this. Like Mike was saying, you know, he we can see why people would like this movie. We can see why people would praise this movie, obviously, you know, with younger audiences. When it's an older member of the horror community, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not going to shit on anybody's opinion. That's not why I'm here. But, man. One of the podcasters that came out loving this movie is a guy that I really respect. And God damn, if I didn't lose a little bit of my shine for him. <laughs> well, at least he left the theater smiling, right? Yeah. Hey, it seems like if anybody under 30 who goes to see this is probably going to enjoy it. Like I said, if you don't have 20 plus years of horror movie viewing under your belt, you're probably going to like this movie. You know, it, it doesn't look bad. It's, it's got decent performances. You know, the movie opens up with a nice bloody scene. We don't really get another one at all, even though there is a pretty cool kill at the end of the movie, at the very end of the film, it's not really a, a bloody one. So I'll explain why in the, in the walkthrough, but yeah, this movie just really leaves you wanting more. And that's unfortunate, you know, for a big budget, you know, theatrical release film, this movie should have had, it, it, it should have had more with less runtime. <laughs> if that makes sense to everybody, there should have been so much more. If this, for this thing to be a two hour story, this, this story should have been expanded so much more, but instead, like I said earlier, and I'm sticking by that, this is a one hour story that they stretched into two hours. And a lot of the second half of the movie suffers because of it, you know, because you're like, OK, we get it. We know what's going on now. Let's move forward. It's like, nope, nope. We got to do a little bit more research or we got to go talking to this person again or that person again. It's like, no, no, let's move forward. Let's, you know, and it's like the filmmakers wanted to take us on this long ride, but it just failed. Perfectly. I, I don't want to say the film failed miserably so much as this runtime did. Well, I also think like the the conclusion of the main character with her doing what she does, I, I it, to me the more you think about it, it just falls apart. What's the point? The, yep. There's no reason you need to go do that because if this if this thing, this entity or whatever, is just following you regardless, then why do you have to go there to do that? Like I don't yeah I don't get it. Like, Another thing too is that this tying it to that. Yeah, um, Rose's Rose as a character, Sozie Bacon, the, our main character, she comes off as a little bit selfish because, in my opinion, she had exactly what she needed to stop this curse. Maybe not stop it forever, but at least stop its current iteration. And she didn't do it. 
she didn't have the balls to do it. And that bothered the shit out of me because that is an incredibly selfish person. You're thinking about your own welfare before the welfare of every other person that's going to get fucked after you. Especially, you know, considering what was going on in her life and how everything was falling apart. It's like you had the tools to end this curse for the time being and you chose not to. You chose to try to be clever and try to trick it. How the fuck are you going to trick a demon? Come on now. It just doesn't make sense to me. So, yeah, I'm starting to get more and more mad the more I think about the movie. I'm starting to teeter towards I didn't like it. <laughs> well, and here, here's a difference, like, because I felt like elements of this were trying to do the it follow it follows things where, like, you're tracing yeah. it and it can go to multiple people. And there's like an actual chain, like a, his, you know, a chain. Yeah. I don't even know. Chain of I was going to say chain of command, not chain of command, chain of something. Uh, whatever chain of people chain of that death. is kind of like cycled through um but to me what it follows does a lot better is we get like a little we get crumbs regarding what the entity or what is actually going on but they don't feel the need to like a hundred percent explain it you know you they kind of let the audience make its own conclusion we get enough to know hey it's it you're definitely in trouble if it's after you but then smile has to do like the lazy exposition or just a lazy style conclusion where like oh it's it's just a damn demon like every other damn movie yeah. and no matter how creative we kind of set everything up in the end it's just another stupid cgi demon that looks <laughs> computer generated and oh yeah like there's just no imagination to that finale i think the finale like that's kind of what brought the movie down a lot to me because I actually was kind of having an okay fun time with it. And then just the finale was like such a, like a sigh of like, uh, okay. On top of the fact that, I mean, you can kind of predict that ending a good 20, 30 minutes before it actually happens. You can even predict who it's going to happen to just because of how the story's progressing at that point. Uh, You know, just, ah, God, when, when an ending is that predictable, it's just upsetting. And then my thing is, it's like, if, because by that time that character knew like oh I because I, I think she had shared with him like if you watch the if you watch the person get murdered or whatever so it's like so are you telling me all you have to do is turn away from it and then it won't transfer because I, I'm assuming you have to be looking yeah right? uh, I don't think you have to be looking if you're in the same room as somebody who offs themselves violently uh, that's still traumatic my friend <laughs> Just not yeah. looking at it isn't going to save you. No, but the the thing I, I, I'm glad that you brought up It Follows because I famously am not a fan of It Follows. But I will say It Follows is a trillion times better than this movie. And one of the main reasons that I fall back on that is because It Follows, the way that that curse was written out in the screenplay, it makes sense that it continues going forward. You know, they they set up the rule that even if someone dies at the end of the chain – it would just go back to the last person, the one who gave it to them, and it would just keep going back, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. This curse had a way to stop it. There was a very obvious and specific way that this curse could have been stopped. Like I said, maybe not forever, but at least for the time being. And she just didn't have the, either she didn't have the intelligence to figure out what she needed to do, or she didn't have the balls to do what she needed to do. And either way, that makes me dislike this character because she comes off, You know, at first she comes off as this strong woman. She's a therapist. You know, she helps people. And then obviously as the movie goes along, she breaks down. Her psyche breaks down more and more, you know, becoming more of a, you know, blob of jelly as the movie goes along. 
And that sucked because it's like I, I wanted to see this woman make the hard decision for the sake of the other people that are going to be affected after her. And she didn't. So I instantly don't like that character because I'm sorry, my friends, I could make that decision. If I know that this curse is just going to keep screwing people over, over and over and over again after I'm gone, I'm going to do what needs to be done to stop the curse. And it's a very simple solution. I'm sure, you know, Don and Mike both know what I'm talking about, but God damn, Sozy Bacon apparently didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anything That's else we can correct. say? Non-spoilery? Um, effectiveness of the marketing campaign? I will say I saw more trailers for this movie than any fucking horror movie probably since It Chapter 2. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, I don't watch much live television, but when I did, there was a smile trailer. Every other YouTube video I watched, there's the smile trailer right before it. Now, obviously, based on, you know, my likes and dislikes on YouTube, it makes sense that they would play a horror movie trailer for me. But it was always smile. It was just incessant smile and it's like you couldn't get away with it and like I said I ended up seeing the trailer last Tuesday when I went to see the Dio documentary anyway and it and since it didn't give away any too much away I wasn't all that upset about it you know um, but there's a reason it didn't give that much away I was actually talking about all the you know people popping up on live TV promoting it not knowing what it's for and all that Oh, oh, all the actual people. Yeah, 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 all the baseball games. Absolutely. Yeah, and the marketing campaign, the viral marketing campaign was actually pretty gnarly. Like, I I haven't seen anything like that since what? Like, Blair Witch, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, it it was... It was, it was neat. It's just a weird movie to pick to do it for. Like, wow, like, you must have had a lot of confidence that you could get people to go see this movie. I and they need to go see it opening see. weekend because once the reviews come out, uh, this thing's going to drop majorly. I, I, I predict about 70% it's going to drop on its second week because all the reviews are going to come out. And yes, I, like I said, it, it is getting positive reviews among certain horror reviewers and podcasters, but it seems like the majority of them are just kind of middle of the road. Like, you know, some will say, yeah, it was okay. It's watchable. I, I, it's hard for me to even say it's okay. It's it's just so forgettable and underwhelming. It's like, why did we bother? Why did we spend the millions to make this movie? Why did we spend the millions to market this movie? Um, and the answer is to get the biggest opening weekend take they could possibly get. And ultimately, it succeeded. Uh, it made over $20 million this weekend. You know, for a shitty little, you know, uh, I can't say indie horror. It's Paramount Pictures. But, you know, for a little theatrical horror movie that's not an existing IP to bust out 20 over 20 million on opening weekend is actually pretty impressive, but it's all marketing. It's not like it was the quality of the film that got that many people in the seats. <laughs> all right. You, you guys ready? Yeah, you're, you are. We kind of are. They've been talking about spoilers anyway, but yeah, I mean, like I said, honestly, folks, if you haven't seen this film, as I mentioned earlier, the only real spoilers in this movie is who survives and who doesn't. That's that's really about it. Ultimately, we we very, we get very little explanation on the story, on the curse, on this demon, whatever the fuck it is. So let's go ahead and start our walk through what little of it I remember. OK, so for our opening scene, we are introduced to Rose Cotter. She is a therapist at a um, emergency mental facility, like where people get taken in 
from the hospital, you know, who are having mental issues, mental health issues, things like that. Uh, she gets a girl named Laura. Just as she's leaving for the weekend, she ends up accidentally forgetting something, going back to her office and then answering the fateful phone call, which would be which would lead to her interaction with Laura Weaver, uh, played by Caitlin Stacy. Um, Laura, they start up a session. Laura starts talking to her about she's seeing things. She's seeing people that aren't really people. Um, she she kind of gives like a preliminary explanation that she basically she watched. She witnessed her college professor kill himself with a hammer of all fucking things. And and that since that day, she has seen something following her, talking to her, whispering in her ear, things like that. Of course, Rose doesn't really believe her, thinks that it's just this girl having a mental break. So, you know, she's trying to calm the girl down as much as possible. And then out of nowhere, uh, Laura just starts freaking out, saying it's right behind you. It's, you know, it's, it's right there. It's right behind you. Of course, Rose turns around. There's nothing back there. You know, the camera turns back to see Laura on the ground, kind of crawling away from something that's coming towards her. Um, at that moment, uh, Rose calls uh, security to get like um, some medical staff in there to help this girl out, maybe give her an injection to relax her, whatever. But but it's too late because right after Rose hangs up the phone, literally the screaming stops. Laura's screaming just out of nowhere, just stops. Rose turns around and then we get that shot that everyone saw in the trailer of Laura standing in front of her smiling, her big old toothy grin. And then she takes a piece of pottery that had broken when she originally started freaking out and she split, she basically slits her own throat, but she slits it in such a fucking gnarly way. She actually starts the cut at the top of her cheek and then comes all the way down around her neck, all the way up partially to the next cheek and then dies. And the reason that I think this is cool is because when they put the sheet over her, the wound actually makes a smile in blood under the sheet. I, I don't remember if that's in the trailer, but that was a cool ass shot. Like I, I actually really thought that was cool. I'm like, Oh, all right, this makes sense. Smile. You know, they're slitting their throat in a smile formation and blah, blah, blah. Honestly, it was just a one-time camera gag. It's not like it was going to be, you know, any kind of theme in the film. So after that Rose, um, you know, tries to go about uh, her next day of business, you know, therapy and everything. And she walks up to a patient named Carl. And this is the guy that we see in the trailer who's just sitting at the edge of his bed, smiling at people as they walk by the door. She goes in there and Carl is kind of murmuring to himself, basically saying, I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. Just repeating that over and over and over again. And then at one point, Rose tries to walk into his room to try to help him out. And he's sitting there with a big old toothy grin on his face. And he just freaks out, you know, basically freaks out. Doesn't really attack Rose necessarily, but it does make her uncomfortable when he freaks out. Rose ends up getting escorted out of the hospital by her boss. Um, and he basically tells her, OK, you're going to take a week off with pay because, you know, you literally just watch one of your your patients kill themselves in front of you. You need some time off. There's no way that everything is cool. She ends up taking some time off going back home. You know, we, we end up meeting her husband named Trevor, kind of a uh, young black businessman. Looks like they're pretty successful. They have a nice house, everything else. Were they actually married or engaged? I think they were engaged, right? 
I don't even know if they were engaged. I I know they, they were weren't married. They were, they were dating. Okay, so it was beyond okay. dating. They were, they were living together. They they bought a house together. They bought that house. So they're either engaged or married. Because she had a ring on too. She did have a ring on the whole movie. I noticed this shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so anyway, like I said, at the very least, they're engaged. Um, he obviously, you know, at first comes off, you know, like a, you know, a supportive, you know, husband, caring. Um, you know, wants to help her out, everything else, but, you know, nothing really comes of it. Uh, she ends up going back to the office one day uh, because, well, she claims that she forgot something, uh, but she goes back to the office, to the hospital, I should say, against her boss's wishes, has another interaction with Carl where she's, you know, basically, um, again, trying to help him out. This time he freaks out even more. And uh, again, she's escorted out of the hospital and, you know, it's pretty much looking like she may end up losing her job at this point, because at this point she's kind of she's she's starting to lose, lose it a little bit. You know, she's starting to see people smiling at her. We get a scene at a birthday party where um, it's her sister's uh, son's birthday. So her nephew, Rose's nephew. And we see her go to the store, buy a, a train, like a model train, put it in a box, wrap it up. You know, everything seems hunky-dory. But then the day of the party, when the kid opens up the box, inside of the box is a dead cat. It's actually Rose's dead cat, who had gone missing the night before. Um, and, yeah, the cat is just deader than shit. She has, she once again has another kind of episode where she sees... Um, again, she sees Laura, but this time she sees her at the party at, at her nephew's birthday party, sitting in a chair, just staring at her, smiling. Of course, Rose ends up having a major mental breakdown right there at the party. Um, you know, she ends up uh, hurting herself. She falls through a glass table at one point uh, when there's a very obvious jump scare with the smiling person getting all up in her face. And. She ends up getting treatment, but because of the way that her arms are bandaged, it looks because she cut herself on her arms a lot uh, when she fell through the glass table. But because of the way that her arms are bandaged, she looks like she's tried to commit suicide. So she's constantly throughout the rest of the movie, pulling down her sleeves, trying to hide her bandages, everything else. So. Um, so, yeah, that's like one of the little horror set pieces that we had uh, at this point. She um, Rose starts to do a little bit more research. Um, she hasn't. She has an ex-boyfriend who is a uh, an officer on the on the uh, local police force. He's actually the one who answered uh, or filled out the report about the original suicide at the beginning of the movie that Rose witnessed. And it turns out he's an ex-boyfriend of hers. Um, he ends up going to the hospital one day just, you know, out of concern for her. She kind of freaks out. She's not real happy with it. I guess her current man and Trevor or uh, Trevor is her current man and and the cop, I forgot the cop's name. Oh, well, uh, basically. Oh, Joel. There it is. Um, so, yeah, Joel and Trevor obviously don't like each other for one reason or another. And, you know, like I said, he reaches out to her to help. Once she starts having more uh, hallucinations, seeing more people smiling at her. At this point, she's starting to hear voices, whispers in the night, things like that. Um, so she, at this point, she actually goes to her um, ex-boyfriend's apartment only because she has nowhere else to go. Um, at this point, she's already had a falling out with Trevor. Trevor has already kind of 
done the douchebag, uh, you know, significant other in a horror movie that I, that fucking trope that I can't fucking stand where he instantly turns on her. As soon as she starts acting even the little bit off, he starts disassociating himself with her kind of disconnecting. And by the end of the movie, not even the end of the movie, by halfway through the movie, he's just a giant fucking douchebag who completely gave up on his fiance because she had a mental break. That that's a pretty fucked up thing. I even said out loud in the theater, fucking dick. <laughs> I didn't care. I, I just couldn't deal with it. Um, there's, there's multiple scenes where her husband uh, tries to, or excuse me, fiance, whatever, Trevor, actually calls the psychiatrist her therapist. So, you know, she is a therapist who also has a therapist and basically calls her over. Uh, Trevor calls her over. She comes home one day after seeing her ex-boyfriend, not sexually or anything, by the way. She's not doing anything bad. She's only going to see Joel to try to get information because he's a cop. I'll elaborate on that in a second. But yeah, at this point, uh, Trevor has invited the her therapist to the house when Rose arrives at home, she gets upset about it. You know, who the fuck are you to, you know, tell me I need therapy or blah, 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 blah. Um, even though throughout the entirety of the movie, Rose just sounds absolutely insane. It's funny because she's completely blind to the irony of the fact that she's been a therapist for all these people with mental health issues, never, ever believing their crazy stories. And now she's the one telling a crazy story to a therapist who's not believing her. So that was actually a nice little bit of karma. So fuck her. <laughs> um, like I said, she gets upset that the therapist is there. She ends up leaving the house again and going back to Joel's. at this point. This is where she asks Joel if he can do some kind of some digging since he is a cop. He's a detective actually. He's a homicide detective, so he's got, obviously, access to a lot of files and things like that. So he basically starts doing research. So first they research uh, Laura Weaver, the original girl that killed herself at the beginning. She witnessed her college professor kill himself. So then they went back and looked at his name, and his name was attached to an incident uh, about a week earlier from his suicide where he witnessed someone uh, killing themselves. And then we kind of get like a little montage of him going through files and we see that it just keeps going back. Every time he finds someone who killed themselves their their name is in a police report from a week earlier where they witnessed someone kill themselves. So at that point, Rose starts to kind of realize that um, it's the trauma of watching someone kill themselves. That's kind of giving this demon his power and his ability to jump from witness to witness. So this is where we finally get the understanding that, if this demon possesses someone and then that person kills themselves in front of someone, uh, the demon the, or the, the demonic activity transfers to the new witness. So. So anyway, at this exact moment, I'm thinking to myself, OK, go to an isolated area and kill yourself. There's no witness. It ends the curse. This isn't like it follows where it just goes back because it can't go back because it already killed the person that it that you know the last the previous suicide they're already dead. Yeah, so I, I was thinking maybe that's what she was going to do. Like she was going to have her little freaking yeah. peace of mind with her mom ghost and then kill herself <laughs> to like have the finale. But of course not. Nope. nope. So basically, she while she's driving around trying to process all this new information in her head. She, that's when she realizes, oh, there has to be a witness. It can't just be someone killing themselves. There has to be someone there to witness it. And then she goes, 
she literally out loud says, I know what I have to do. So, of course, I'm thinking, okay, cool. She's a smart girl. She's going to go somewhere isolated. She's going to take her husband's gun and blow her head off. And the curse is over, at least for now. Nope. She ends up going back to her childhood home, which is, you know, just completely disheveled and rotted. It's just an old country house that no one's lived in for what looks like over 20, 30 years. She's there by herself. It looks like there's not much of a neighborhood. It looks like it's one of those like miles in between your nearest neighbor type situation because it's literally just a house standing in a field. And while she's there, she does have an interaction with um, her mother. I did forget to mention that um, Rose actually does have childhood trauma uh, because her mother was a drug addict, a drug and alcohol addict. And basically one night, when mom drank too much and took way too many pills, she basically asked Rose for help. She said, Rose, you know, call the ambulance, call a doctor, you know, do something. Rose basically just not uh, shakes her head no and slips out of the room and just closes the door, basically letting her mother die. So, yeah. So basically, you know, that's kind of her backstory. Um, I did mention earlier that she has a sister, but the sister was older, so she was already out of the picture by this point. Uh, she had already left because of the mom's abusive ways and, you know, all her uh, addictions and everything else. But Rose was too young to leave the house, so she had to take the brunt of it. Dad, I have no idea. I don't even know if they mentioned dad or not, if he died or just took off. But the dad is not in the picture. So, yeah, you've got little 10-year-old Rose dealing with her drug and alcohol addicted mother. And she basically just makes the call one night that this is it. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to bring the phone over to you. I'm going to walk away and just let you die in your bed. And of course she's been dealing with that trauma her whole life, which, you know, could be part of what made her a candidate for this curse aside from, you know, watching Laura kill herself. But yeah, she's got that past trauma. So anyway, when she does go back home, She's there and she has an interaction with her, you know, her mother's spirit, supposedly. And they're talking back and forth. This is when we get all the information about the drug addiction. And we, we get to see a flashback scene of Rose actually walking out of the bedroom and closing the door on her mother, who is, you know, basically laying in the bed, you know, begging for help. But, you know, she couldn't move on her own, blah, blah, blah. And then. Rose basically says, I'm done with this trauma. Like she's speaking to her, the spirit of her mother and she, and they're in the mom's bedroom, like the actual room where she died. And, you know, they have a little bit of a back and forth about, you know, why this, why that. And Rose finally says, I let you die. Cause I was scared of you. Cause I was fucking terrified. You did nothing but, you know, emotionally and physically abuse us. So why would I save you? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, valid reason. I'm not giving Rose shit for that at all. Shit. Um, so Rose basically says, I'm done with this trauma. I'm walking away from it. She walks out of the bedroom, closes the bedroom door, walks back out into the living room to do what I think she's going to do. But instead, no, she actually just sits in the living room, almost like she's waiting <laughs> for the mother spirit to come in. And then she starts hearing footsteps coming towards the living room from the direction of her mother's bedroom. So obviously we think we're going to get, you know, the same spirit of mom that we've already seen. Instead, what we get is a fucking nine foot tall version of mom 
who didn't look anywhere near as good as the creature from Barbarian, I should say. Barbarian looked so much nicer. Granted, it, was, it probably wasn't as much CG either. But yeah, this, this was just a CG monstrosity. Like I said, it vaguely had the features of her mother, but yeah, like the face was all deteriorated, you know, very demonic looking, blah, 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 long black hair, you know, very Asian ghost story. But um, basically, you know, they have a little bit of a struggle and Rose ends up smashing a kerosene lantern on <laughs> the demon's head, basically setting it on fire. So she's she's sitting there watching this thing burn. I'm I'm literally in my head yelling at the screen. Don't you dare leave. There's no way this is over. There's no fucking way yeah. this is over. And what the fuck does she do? Does she do? She gets back in her car and goes back to civilization like the idiot that she is. Um, she ends up having like a it's almost like a dream in a dream where like she wakes up. Oh, right. That's what it was um, at this point or at one point in the film um they do they are able to talk to a survivor someone who actually survived this curse the only person on record who survived this and the advice that this person gives to rose is you need to kill someone you need to kill someone in front of a witness which is why this guy is in prison he basically killed someone in front of uh, another person which transferred the curse over to them so, I mean, that I actually thought was kind of clever. I mean, granted, you have to commit murder to get out of this curse, but, you know, you want to spend the rest of your life in jail or dead, you know? Yeah, another, another kind of similar thing that it follows. To yes, pass it exactly. to someone else. Big time, big time. So, um, at this point, after Rose escapes uh, the house the first time, she actually decides to do that. She actually decides to take a knife to the hospital. And I might be saying these scenes out of order, folks, and I really don't care because I don't like this movie, so it's okay. Um, at one point, she actually takes a knife back to the hospital, the mental facility that she works at, and she goes back to see Carl. Um, she agitates Carl enough until her boss comes running into the room. And then what we see her do is she pulls the knife out of her sleeve and just starts stabbing the shit out of, uh, Paul, uh, out of Carl, excuse me. At this point, I'm thinking the doctor probably ran out of the room, didn't witness it and fucked everything up. And she just killed the guy for no reason. But no, the camera does turn around and it shows the doctor sitting there screaming at Rose. What are you doing? What are you doing? But then out of nowhere, the doctor peels his fucking face off, literally just peels it off like it's a flesh mask. <laughs> and at that moment, Rose wakes up and she's still at her fucking mother's house. Like the whole interaction, the whole burning thing never happened. She's still there. So, you know, obviously she's still there and she's about to deal or she's trying to think of what she's going to do uh, to deal with this situation. And just as she's starting to think of an idea, her ex shows up, Joel. How the hell Joel found out he, she lived at that house is beyond me, but there it is. Joel shows up. He's a cop. He's a homicide detective. I'll, I guess I'll you know, allow it, even though it's odd, since that address shouldn't even be on record for her, but whatever. Um, Joel shows up. He tries to get into the house. He's unable to. The door is locked. Um, well, she actually locked it. Like when Rose saw Joel pull up in his car, she starts screaming, no, 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 you can't be here. You know, I need to be alone. And she runs into the house and uh, locks the door behind her. 
after she walks back into the house with the door locked, there's mom or demon, whatever you want to call this thing, our, our eight foot, nine foot fucking, you know, androgynous monster. And this is this is actually a pretty cool scene. Uh, basically, what we see is, you know, we see the demon speaking to her, basically saying, and you're never going to get rid of me. You're never going to escape me. And, and then they actually show how the demon gets into these people. And it's not the way you think. It's not like they just like the demon just magically transforms itself into a person or whatever. No, this thing opens your mouth and spreads it open to comical degrees. Like you know, there's no way the human mouth could open that far. She's doing this to Rose, by the way, and literally climbs head first into Rose's mouth. And we don't see the whole climbing in. We see her put her head in her in Rose's mouth. And then we, you know, we go back to outside. Joel's still trying to get in. He hears a commotion inside. He hears Rose struggling against something. But then he hit, but then the noise just stops out of nowhere. The noise stops. He kicks the he's finally able to kick the door down. And when he walks in, what he finds is Rose pouring the kerosene from the lamp on herself. With her back turned, mind you. Her back is facing the camera. Of course, she turns around. She's got the big shitty grin on her face. She lights a match and just lights herself up on fire, which was actually a pretty impressive effect. Um, Very CG, obviously. Um, But, you know, mildly good looking. And then at that exact moment, we see... Uh, Joel kind of just reacting to this whole thing. The camera starts to zoom into his eyes and it, it eventually zooms in close enough that we actually see Rose burning in the reflection of his eyeball. And then I think that's it, right? There's no, I don't think there was like an epitaph or anything like that, or uh, definitely not a cl- uh, post credit scene. But uh, yeah, no, I stuck around to see and I did not see. Anymore. Yeah, so that's it, folks. That's Smile 2022. Like I said, no explanation whatsoever of what this curse is. The best that we get is when Joel goes back down the chain of suicides and basically never finds an end to you know these all these suicides, these string of suicides. It's it's the guy in jail, the survivor of the curse, who ends up telling Rose um, kind of the history, not the history, but what he knows about the curse. And that when he was doing research, he said he found uh, chains of suicides going back decades, even finding an incident in Brazil was uh, what he mentioned. So like Don said, you know, maybe we'll get that movie, you know, give give me the movie where this whole this whole thing starts like. You know, somebody had to have either made a shitty deal with a demon or I mean, there's got to be more to this than just a demon decides to fuck with people. Uh, just there has to be more to, to it. But it, and if there's not more to it, shame on you, Parker Finn, who wrote and directed this film. So I get to put all the blame on one person. And I like when that happens. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, I've had nothing. <laughs> All right, yeah, I, I don't have much else to add. Like I said, I had an okay time with it, but I just don't think there's much. I don't think there's going to be much value on repeat viewings. Like there was nothing when I was leaving the theater. There was nothing about it that you know had me thinking like, oh, I wish I could like dive deeper into this story because there just wasn't much. And the jump scares were fun in the theater because it's big and loud, but. Uh, <laughs> Even though I have surround sound at home, I, I just think it's not the, you know, it's not 
it's nothing that's it's not Dolby. To, uh, it's not Dolby Cinema effect. by any stretch. I saw this at a Dolby Cinema. So yeah, every single jump scare shook my chair, which started to get annoying after a while, like I said, but you know, <laughs> whatever. I, I did forget to mention there is a little tiny bit more star power in this movie. Um, Rose's boss at the mental facility is actually played by Cal Penn, who most people would know as Kumar from the Harold and Kumar movies. So, you know, it's something. <laughs> yeah, he, Cal Penn is definitely. I mean, he's in all of what, two no. scenes in the whole movie, and then he gets to peel his face off, and that's it. <laughs> it's kind of funny because in Harold and Kumar, he was playing like a med student, and I swear he's been like a doctor in multiple roles now. So it's, it's yeah. kind of funny. Actually, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I think that's going to wrap up our discussion on Smile. So let's Yay! find out where else we can be heard, and it might make people smile a little bit more. So, Venom, uh, you're up first. All right, so the main show, No More Room in Hell, episode 48, is still our main episode. Those were my picks where we looked at 1960s Eyes Without a Face and 2014's Goodnight Mommy. Um, You can also hear me on No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Uh, We're still on the the bonus episode. You know, we're still trying to find a a date and time to record our true episode 12, which we have picked our movie, but we're going to keep it under our hats for now. So look out for that episode, hopefully sooner than later. Um, what else we got? I don't think I have any guest spots coming up. Uh, Cut to the Chase. Uh, I'm doing Cut to the Chase. I'm doing the Dark Parade all for October. Oh, one more show I forgot to mention. Um, the Crystal Lake Gift Shop. Episode one is available now. Episode two is in the can. We have recorded it with our special guest, Lacey Lou, who you guys know from her multiple appearances here on Fresh Cuts. And, of course, we talk about episode two of Friday the 13th, the series, on that one. Um, I think that one will probably be out eh, sometime later this week, at the absolute latest, early next week. But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how quick I can get that edited. Good for me, Mike. Cool. All right. Uh, what do you got, Ben? Or, excuse me, Don? Uh, not much. Um, Horror Countdown is uh, on hiatus uh, for the coming year because Halloween, Italian Horror Month, and Christmas take priority over the show, and I just can't be asked um, anymore to talk to other people about their choices. I want uh, time to myself during these high holy days, so um, you can find that on uh, most podcast services. Um, I... Uh, it's out there for you uh, to check out season one and, uh, you know, check out all of the fun topics and discussions uh, in preparation for season two, which will be uh start of the new year. And uh, I, I can say I'm uh, returning to uh, the nightclub podcast. Um, I was on there recently to do Sharknado and they asked me back to do a uh, film in the uh, Gates of Hell trilogy. So I think I'm doing... I think they said either Beyond or Gates of or uh, City of the Living Dead. I don't remember. I'd have to check. Uh, I, I'm doing one of the two. I, I just don't remember which one. I, I thought they were. They asked me back to do the whole trilogy, but they said no. You, we only want you back for one. So that was a slight mistake on my end. But uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm doing either Beyond or City of the Living Dead. I don't remember. But uh, yeah, that should be recording soon once I remember which one it is and get a date down. But 
Yeah, other than that, uh, like you said, Creature Comforts, we've got our uh, film picked out. Uh, we need our date, but uh, I guess that's uh, it for me. Okay. Um, as far as I go, yeah, just No More Room in Hell, Crystal Light Gift Shop, and I will be talking Idle Hands on uh, Cut to the Chase's Thrills and Chills, I think. It's recording sometime later this week. It was initially supposed to be last Friday, but we had to postpone it, so... Um, yeah, she asked me to do that. I don't even remember what my film is. <laughs> yeah, alright. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I believe that's, that's it for me. But uh, next up, for Fresh Cuts, uh, it's not theatrical, but it is kind of a highly anticipated movie, so it is kind of that mm. occasion where even though... <laughs> It's coming to a VOD service. It is still kind of buzzing in the horror community for many different reasons, but that would be the Hellraiser uh, remake. Yeah. I don't even know if technically if it's a remake or just like a new. It, it's not. Movie. I think it's a. It's a. It's kind of like where it was. It's a readaptation of the source novel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a more accurate way to put it. Um, yeah. I think it's the way it chapter one was, where it's a readaptation of the source novel. Okay, yeah, cool. And that hits Hulu, I think it's either this Thursday or Friday. Um, and so, yeah, that'll be the next episode. We actually have pretty much most of October planned, because I think, mo- you know, it's a mix of either theatrical or, like, more known stuff coming to VOD, so we're not yeah, going to do much hunting. There's, uh, yeah, there's uh, too many high-profile releases for us to ignore that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we can make the announcement that we actually have the entire month planned out. Uh, we're not going to reveal all of them yet, but I think we've already got our uh, sele- our choices uh, selected. Yep, yeah, exactly. So uh, we won't have any trouble uh, announcing them at the end of each episode this month. I mean, for the following episode. But yeah, that's going to do it for this episode of Fresh Cuts. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I hope maybe this movie made you smile. If not, maybe the episode made you smile. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that said, we're going to get out of here. So let's say a bye to later. What the fuck are you smiling at? <laughs> Peace. <laughs>